Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. I'm really grateful to have a returning guest on the podcast to talk about his new book. And his name is Skylar Sorensen. Welcome to the podcast, Sky. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. For our listeners, do you go by Skylar or Sky? You know, I kind of go by both. I, I kind of say that my friends call me Sky, but then also with the podcast, I I named our podcast originally Sit Down with Sky and Preston when it was my friend Preston on. And now it's Sit Down with Sky and Amanda. And so kind of depending on where you know me from, <laughs> um, I can I go by either. I, I like Sky. I, I think that's more personal. I'm going to call you Sky and um, as Sky mentioned, he is the host of the podcast, Sit Down with Sky and Amanda. Um, that's been going for a while. We'll link to that in the show notes. May, Skyler may talk about that podcast in his story here. He's also going to talk about um, a new book that he wrote. And in the show notes, we'll link to where you can pre-order the book. The book will be out in June. So if you're listening in June, you will, can get past the pre-order link and just order it. Um, but if you're listening before June, um, check out the pre-order link. But I love the title of the book. It's called Excu- Exclude Not Thyself, Thriving as a Covenant-Keeping Gay Latter-day Saint by Skylar Sorensen, forward by Dr. Ty Mansfield, somebody I deeply respect and admire. So Likewise. When I see somebody that's written a book, an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, I love to have them on the podcast to share their story. I want more to connect with your book, with your podcast, with your story. I think your story is helpful for our faith community. So with that, I'll just kind of turn it over to you, Sky, to share your story. Okay, man. Um, where do I start? So yeah, as, as you mentioned, um, I, um, I'm a gay member of the church in a mixed orientation marriage. My wife, Amanda, and I, we got married in 2000. Oh no, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. 2018. Jeez. I'm I'm 95% sure about that. <laughs> 2018 in March in the Provo City Center Temple. And we met in our singles ward. Um, I was going to BYU and she, Amanda, was going to UVU, but living in BYU housing in the Riviera. And we, um, our, my group of friends that lived together and her group of friends that lived together, we all kind of became friends and hung out a lot. And I, I, I always really liked Amanda. She, her nickname in our group was everyone's favorite <laughs> just because she was just a joy to be around. And I really gravitated toward that because she, she's just such a light. And so I, um, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really in a position where I wanted to date or felt like I was in a position to do so. Um, but I kind of took the plunge just as, I, I, I'm, I mean, I know it was spirit led, but, um, I just took the plunge and asked her out on a date and it went really well. And <laughs> obviously here we are now, um, five years later, we, 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 uh, celebrated our fifth anniversary in March. Um, so yeah, we, we, um, have, have been through a lot. We love each other very much. Um, obviously mixed orientation marriages are kind of a mixed bag. We don't, we don't have a lot of information or data on them, but what we do know, um, it's kind of a mixed bag. And, and we've found that centering our lives on 
the Savior and our commitment to one another has helped us to be successful and and be really happy and fulfilled in our marriage. And I know last um, podcast we were both on, um, it was shortly after I I had... <laughs> I had a, a tweet. It was. It wasn't even my tweet. It was a, sh- a screenshot of my tweet about my marriage that somebody else picked up and got a lot of attention. And it was shortly after that that I, b- I believe you reached out. Um, and we had. Um, there's a lot to our story. I'm trying to condense it here. You're doing. You're doing good. <laughs> and um, we. I, I guess direct people to that old podcast if they want to hear more about um, our story with us as a couple, and then also um, our son, Milo, who was born at 24 and a half weeks and weighed one pound, eight ounces. Um, and he he did really well for his short little life, but did pass away after about a month in the NICU. So we shared a little bit about his story as well. And I might have more to say about that experience a little bit later, but we've kind of been through the ringer, but come out, we, we came out stronger just because I mean, I don't know exactly why we're <laughs> we're very blessed to have great support systems um, and just a shared commitment to one another. We we've just agreed that you know whatever comes our way, we we have chosen each other, and and that's where we are. So that's, great. that's kind of a, a trying to sum up the last five or six years of my life. Um, but we, we, yeah, we talk about it a little bit more in, in our podcast. Now it's like, as, as you mentioned, it's Amanda and I that do the podcast, um, together and just talk about cultural things where the culture and church mix, um, and through the lens of a mixed orientation marriage couple. And we've really enjoyed it so far. We've, um, this new season with the both of us, I believe we've done four, four episodes now. Way to go. Yeah. Listeners, that's episode 243 that Sky's referring to. If you want to listen to that podcast, and I remember Milo, and um, you may tell us eventually in the podcast um, new family news that you have. And, um, you know, if you haven't heard me talk about mixed orientation marriages, and I don't want to pivot away from Sky's story, remember the first podcast I did with a couple in a mixed orientation marriage? And, I really got a rebuke of the spirit because all I'd kind of just thought they weren't real marriages. And um, then I met with a couple in a mixed orientation marriage. It was a beautiful love story. And I recognize that Sky is sometimes under pressure from Twitter world is probably a good example where his marriage isn't real or authentic or valid. And I just mourn sometimes for the, for the road that, sometimes Latter-day Saints and mixed orientation marriages walk as they're doing their best they can, um, keeping their covenant, staying close with Christ, um, feeling that their best path is to be married in a, to, in this case, a man and a woman. And I just want to, as an ally, give my support to people in mixed orientation marriages and sort of publicly repent um, for my preconceived conceptions about couples in mixed orientation marriages and it wasn't until I've done a lot of podcasts and met with couples that I've sort of had that spiritual rebuke and then been more understanding. And no one should sit on the sideline and hope that someone else's marriage fails, or no one should sit on the sideline, sit on the sideline and sort of judge another person's marriage. Your marriage is a beautiful love story, Sky. And 
You and Amanda are terrific, and I'm glad you're open and authentic and honest and recognize the courage it takes to be out, to do a podcast, to write a book. So you're brave. So I want to just send it back to you, though, not talk too much. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate all of that. Um, <clears throat> and I, I have to do a little repenting of my own. I, I failed. You, you remind me. I, I failed to mention... Um, our daughter. I don't know how I could do that. We talked about well, you were it before get recording. To, you were going to get to that. I knew you would. Yeah, I obviously need to mention our our daughter, Remy. She's um fifteen or sixteen months now, and just a whole bundle of joy. She's so fun. She has just so much personality. Um, and Milo was the first grandchild on Amanda's side. Um, and so. Uh, Remy is the only living and so very much spoiled by grandma and grandpa um, on both sides. My, my family's a little further, but um, especially on Amanda's side, cause we're really close to them, but c- couldn't go on without mentioning our Remy. She's the joy of our lives. And um, yeah, anyway, <laughs> tell us how you got the name Remy. Remy. That's, it's just one that Amanda has always really liked. And so it was on our list. Um, and uh, honestly, with Milo and Remy, both of those names, they, I initially they kind of didn't. fit together in a way. Yeah, I mean, two syllable names. Um, initially, I didn't really like the names very much, but obviously, they've grown on me now, and and I love them. But um, <laughs> I, I kind of leave the baby naming uh, choice to Amanda because she is a lot more. Um, she has, she has a lot stronger opinions about that than I do. So <laughs> she's usually the one that names them, which I'm happy about. But um, I guess we could, yeah, pivot a little bit to my book um, if, if you'd like to do I'd that. I'd love, love to do that. So I, um, as you mentioned, uh, the title, Exclude Not Thyself, uh, Thriving as a Covenant-Keeping Gay Latter-day Saint. Um, I got that title or I came up with that title um, I actually wrote an article a while back with the same title and just kind of liked it. The when we when Preston and I did the podcast, kind of an unspoken theme throughout was not excluding yourself from the plan of salvation because any number of situations or experiences in your life. So that always came up in our podcast. And I guess I was just kind of thinking if if I were to go back to my younger self and provide some sort of um, some sort of advice to him, it would be that very piece of advice. Don't exclude yourself from anything, from the the church, the plan of salvation, and and then just the language exclude not thyself. It's kind of what I picture if God were to sum up his direction toward me and create kind of a personalized scripture or whatever, (laughs) that's what it would be. And so that's kind of where the title came from, but it is the main premise of my book is that the gospel is for everyone. And there are certain barriers in each of our lives um, that make living the gospel more challenging or certain, I guess I should say certain aspects of the gospel more challenging or more complex. Um, and so what are those barriers? What can we do to identify them? What can we do to remove them? Um, and live a fulfilling, thriving life in the gospel. So that's kind of the, the main premise. 
I have advice for gay Latter-day Saints, um, but then also for, you know, just everyday members of the church who want to love and support their LGBTQ family members and friends without kind of enabling a faith crisis or, you know, enabling um, or pushing them further away from the gospel, I guess, is how I could put it. So each chapter is um, a piece of advice that I would have given to myself as a younger person. But I also go into, yeah, um, giving advice to everyday church members. And I, um, the, it's kind of a, a lot of books in this field are memoirs, which I think is great. And we need good stories like that. Um, but mine very much is not a memoir. I, I do have aspects of my story. Um, I have a, ch- a whole chapter about Milo and that experience. But I, I guess I tried to do something a little bit different where it's more practical advice. Um, and my my theories or my ideas of how we can each individually thrive in the church. Um, so that's part um, part just like, theological um, things, some political things, some practical, just kind of a broad array of of pieces of advice that I would give to someone in my situation or somebody, again, trying to love someone in my situation. So I guess I I pulled out some some headings or like some key ideas, or I guess um, the way I did it is I... I, um, came up with different barriers and how we can address them and and get rid of them. And so I guess I can just kind of go into the first one. And if you have any questions to stop me, (laughs) cause I'm go for it. Yeah. um, Sometimes struggle to just talk and talk and talk. I'm not much of a talker. So the, the first one um, ties into a few different parts of my book, but one of the barriers that I, I notice is that we, um, we just mis- misunderstand each other a lot of the time, whether that is um, as you know a gay Latter Day Saint trying to understand either side, like those who come from a more orthodox, um, religiously orthodox world, or those who are a little bit less orthodox, and then kind of the other way, people trying to understand me and my situation. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, and I guess I, I just came up with some ideas of how we can approach those misunderstandings in a tactful way that doesn't, um, doesn't prevent us from advocating for truth, doesn't require us to water truth down, but gets us to, um, remember each other's humanity and present, have conversations in more of a courteous way. Something, um, something that I have noticed about you specifically, Richard, online, um, is that you, whether you like it or not, are a very polarizing figure on, online. Not, I don't think intentionally, but just the field that you are advocating for is a very polarizing one. And something that I have noticed is p- particularly those more who I would agree with from like a um, religious standpoint um, those who are more like orthodox in, in their beliefs and more conservative politically, um, 
they 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 criticize a lot of what you say, um, some of your advocacy. And while I find myself sometimes agreeing with them in principle, the way that they go about it makes me cringe and, and want to distance myself from them. Because I, I truly believe that, I mean, I, you, Richard, especially, I, I believe you are a very good person and have the best intentions. And I, I feel the spirit as we talk and as I, when we came to your home and, and I felt the spirit of your home and I, I know you're a very loving and genuine person. Um, but, and, and I believe most people, at least in the church are that way. I think most people have the best intentions with whatever side they come on different issues. But we tend to, if, if somebody has a different perspective of how an individual in a certain situation can thrive, we, we tend to believe that they have the, the worst intentions. Um, and that is something that I have noticed with you and others um, that I, I, I just wish I could articulate in a way that, um, that could resonate with all of your listeners. Because <laughs> it, it kind of becomes a, a place of the loudest opinion wins, the one that is the most passionate and the most fiery. That is the one that is the most truthful. Um, but I don't think that's true. I think indignation is sometimes warranted, but that doesn't mean that if we're indignant, we are right. I think there's a conflation of those two things. And I just always want to approach, um, unless I have a solid reason not to, I, I approach an individual assuming that they have the best intentions, um, but they just have different ways of reaching the same goal. And I think especially in this space of LGBTQ issues as it relates to faith, there is a lot of toxicity in the conversation on both sides. Um, I've been guilty of engaging with it, but I've, I've tried to recently, again, try to see um, people from their perspective, wh like wh what paradigm they are operating in, and then I can better understand their intentions. And usually I can see that they are good, um, even though I may disagree fundamentally with them in principle of what they are advocating for, um, things that I think distance people away from the church. But I, I can at least grant them their humanity and, and their intentions. And so that is kind of one, of one of the first big ideas in my book is trying to find that balance of grace and truth um, that, that just keep that, that was a big theme in, in our podcast, as well as the book. I think a lot of members of the church, myself included, um, either under, like under the impression that they are acting in compassion or trying to be compassionate and graceful, forget the truth element of the gospel that helps individuals thrive. And then on the other hand, you have those who are, um, uphold the truth, which is important, but in so doing, they forget the grace piece of it and they wrongfully assume that they can just hammer the truth or variations of the truth directed toward people and that will convert people. And I think that's um, a little bit misguided. I, I don't think you can argue with someone into gaining a testimony of the gospel. That happens, especially with the debate regarding gay marriage, I, I've noticed that um, kind of just religious people, religious conservatives in general, will um, attempt to, a lot of times, attempt to remove God from the conversation and try to 
argue their way um, to argue against, like logic their way into arguing that gay marriage should not be legal or, or whatever the argument is. But I don't think we can remove God from the conversation wherever, wherever we stand on those issues. Someone, if we're talking to a gay couple, we're not going to argue them into um, leaving each other and clinging to Christ and, and, you know, the restored gospel. That's just not going to happen. If it is going to happen, they're going to have to gain a testimony. They're going to have to feel the spirit um, testify to them of the truthfulness of the restored gospel. And then maybe they will make changes in their life to, um, you know, put themselves on the covenant path. And that that's true with it, with everyone in every situation, but this is the, um, the lens through which we're, we're talking right now. Um, do you have anything with that? I don't know. I feel like I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> I just, um, I assume you, how old are you, Sky? Uh, tw- oh man, 28. I was thinking you're in your <laughs> 20s. Um, really thoughtful. You know, you're really um, intellectually mature and very thoughtful and full of bridge building. And one of, I think, your gifts, and I sense this with Preston, and Amanda is just um, a real fundamental testimony of the restored doctrine, the truths of our church, and um, a thoughtfulness in a bridge-building way of trying to build bridges of understanding and not selling out anything you stand for. And um, so that last segment you did was just terrific. And I was comfortable with what you, the examples you shared about me and, um, and sometimes just the challenges of being in this space. So I thought that was just a terrific segment, but I respect for you went up a few more notches, just hearing you talk about that part of your book and your desire to do what's right. And, and um, all the things you stand for, as well as building tools of better understanding in a pluralistic world. So keep sharing. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, it's something that I'm very much passionate about, and at this um, these these crossroads of of sexuality and faith within the restored gospel, um, it's a it, it can be a very confusing thing, and and something that can cause a lot of distress for those who are either um, personally involved in it or know others who are. Um, I, I just really believe that it's one of the most impassioned cultural battlegrounds that we find ourselves within the, the church, within our culture at large. And again, just a lot of misunderstanding each other, whether intentionally or not. And I just, yeah, I hope we can find a way to Again, not not watered down truths, not deviate from that which we know will help people, the restored gospel, but find a way to present it to them in a way that won't push them further away. Um, kind of, a, I guess, a related note, another subheading I have, another idea that I pulled from my book. Um, it's kind of the, the core idea that comes from the title, um, how... Uh, individually as, you know, gay Latter-day Saints or um, LGBTQ, whatever, um, we sometimes exclude ourselves. Um, but other times, uh, members of the church, in, again, in their, in their effort to love and to understand and to show um, support and love, all, all of those things, tend to make exceptions for people like me. And I guess one... 
one way in which they do this is there's a, there's kind of a line that LGBTQ people don't need to hear the doctrine. And I can completely sympathize with that idea just because of how, again, those who I agree with on principle tend to sometimes be very abrasive in the way that they um, share the gospel. But I, I think there are a couple of, couple of reasons why we all need to hear the doctrine, whether it is the doctrine of eternal families or just the entirety of, of the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its entirety. I think at different points in our life, we different aspects of the gospel will resonate more with us. Um, and if we're actively avoiding one key part of the gospel, um, we aren't going to, um, we aren't going to have those little <clears throat> key moments in our life where, where something clicks in our minds. If we're actively avoiding one, one part of the gospel, I think there's a tactful and an appropriate time to discuss the, the doctrine of eternal families with, with anyone. You're not going to just go out there and, and shout at people again, but um, I don't think we need to give up the opportunity to, and if the, the opportunity presents itself and you feel the spirit prompt you, I think it's, um, it's something that no matter who you are, it's, it's important to, again, discuss the different aspects of the gospel that are designed to help anyone in any, any situation. I, there's a, um, a quote that someone, um, this ended up in my book. It was, it was a comment, I believe, on a YouTube video or one of our episodes that was on YouTube. Um, this is from a, a, a gay member of the church. <clears throat> He said, I'm frustrated with the members who actively encouraged me to leave the church and who actively preached false doctrine and moral relativism. Even now, having come back to the gospel, <clears throat> excuse me, there are some members who still encourage me to turn my back on God again. If there was no reason to really try for exaltation, why even have the restored gospel? It just frustrates me to hear ideas being preached from a position of love when the decisions I made to step away from God took me to a dark place that I'll likely have scars from for the rest of my life. So that, that just really hit me. Um, because again, I know that there are different ways that different members of the church feel that they can support uh, and love LGBTQ people. Um, and we obviously honor agency, but how, how can we balance agency while not enabling sin or um, enabling our brothers and sisters to go down a path that will lead them further away from Christ. And that's a really difficult balance. And it's going to be different from how we interact online and how we advocate online versus an interpersonal um, interaction with someone. If we're just talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, that's going to be a very different thing. Um, but in both cases, it is important to, again, balance that grace and truth. Um, and not, not shy away from gospel principles, but also don't shove it in people's faces. <laughs> That's a very common, very common theme in, in our podcast and in my attempts on online, on Twitter, which is such a, it's an interesting place. It's a very toxic place a lot of the time, especially LDS Twitter, but can also be something really wonderful. So it's... <laughs> It's an interesting, um, I'm sure you can share or you can understand that 
um, as well as someone who's on social media. Um, but I, I, I've made an effort recently to try to find more of a balance um, where I am, again, being more graceful, but not watering down the truth. And that's a really difficult balance to find. I, 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 in the past, have erred more on the side of just kind of word vomiting gospel truths without remembering that element of grace. Um, and I've tried to kind of bring that element back in and it's, it's really hard, but I've, I've noticed that, um, there's a lot of appreciation and people reach out to me, um, all all the time, thanking me for, um, not shying away from truths, but presenting it in a way that makes sense to them. And that is courteous. And that remembers that, um, just because like there's this idea that we, um, the idea of developing a thick skin, there's that, that idea. And I think personally, like having a, a thick skin is a, is a positive thing, is a good thing to have. It, it will help you be a happier individual. But I think we wrongfully assume if we are someone who has kind of a thicker skin, that others are in a position where we can kind of offer unsolicited opportunities to test their thin, their skin's thickness <laughs> and just, um, again, lob truth bombs at them without, without trying to understand their position or where they are emotionally. And I think we can't forget that part of it when, again, when advocating for the gospel online, this is kind of more directed toward online discourse, which I think a lot about because I and unfortunately am on social media a good amount with, with the podcast and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, kind of out of position where I can pivot to the next topic unless you had anything to add here. I thought that was a great segment, Sky. And, um, you know, as an ally, I probably do things different today than I did when I first started. I think I've been in this space eight years and um, it takes growth and understanding. And um, I'm speaking as an ally now versus an LGBTQ member. So as an ally, you have this sort of, you don't have a backstory that's part of your story. So I recognize as you're talking about our gospel truth and restored gospel, you've got your own personal story that sometimes people like and sometimes people don't like. And so it, it's a good thing, but it, it, it's also a challenge of your of being in the space, but I think you do a terrific job of it. But I do agree with you. There are people in the church and out of the church that feel all LGBTQ people should lead the church. And um, sort of feel that's going to be their best path forward. And I, I don't think that's healthy. And I agree with you. That's not what allies in the church or outside the church should be doing. I like the principle, you know, my approach, and that may be not everybody's approach, and it may not feel like it's um, standing up for truth enough, is I'll always invite people to stay in the church. All the good in my life comes through church membership and keeping my covenants and um, that's true of my family, but if at some point some people self-determine a different path, I'll say, well, I'll still walk with you. I'll still be your friend. Um, and that may or may not be okay for listeners. And that's just the way I approach it. And I recognize, and I'm not saying that's the right way, listeners. Um, and so it's just a 
you know, I think what both of us are trying to do is to build, um, is to reduce the vitriol and the, and to bring more understanding and support. But I, you know, I'm grateful for Sky and what he's sharing with us. And I recognize there's a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that have a fundamental testament of restored doctrine and want to stay in the church. And they need voices that um, help make that possible for them and remind them, like Sky's suggesting, of the blessings of church membership and all the good that comes into their life through following church teachings. So I'll turn it back to you to continue to share, Sky. Yeah, I, I like that. And I, I like that <clears throat> distinction about, you know, when we have um, family members or friends who who decide to leave the church or um, have or distance themselves in any number of ways or amounts. Um, excuse me. I, um, I, I think there's a tendency to believe that we either cut them off or we fully... Um, support and sanction every choice that they make. But there is, again, that balance to be found there. And, and I have many family members and, and friends um, who have distanced themselves from the church in any, any manner of ways and um, degrees. Um, and w- with those individuals, I, I still have a good, a, a great relationship. I still love them. I still cheer on their successes in life and support them in all of their worthy endeavors. Um, but I mean, our, our invitation or our, um, the call of discipleship is to invite. And so if there ever is an instance or an opportunity for me to invite, um, to whatever, come to, come to church when I'm speaking or, um, whatever it may be, I try to act on that and try to remember that my job is to invite, not, um, not to convince because the spirit is the one that, that convinces us and that converts us. That doesn't mean that there won't ever be um, more of like a back and forth or intellectual discussion where there is an element of, um, I don't know if our, our argument, argument isn't the right word, but um, pre- pre- presenting your side in a way that's compelling, um, that, that will happen. But when it comes to being converted to the gospel that does come from the spirit and that can only happen through the spirit with my invitation or with um, my invitation or anyone's invitation, helping them to get to that point. Um, But in, I guess, pivoting a little bit with the next, next um, point here for, uh, for me and my marriage and my relationship with Christ and, and involvement in the gospel and the church, the, um, the power has come. My success has come by embracing the gospel, um, as best I can in, in its entirety. And I, I understand, um, as someone kind of in the throes of this, the, um, the difficulty of maybe hearing about a mixed orientation marriage or thinking about a temple marriage for yourself as a gay Latter-day Saint. I I understand that wrestle to some degree, at least in my situation. Um, And and there is a lot of confusion and a lot of hurt directed toward that. Um, But I guess how, how can we identify those barriers again and, and, hopefully remove them to the best of our ability. Um, 
for me, so again, with mixed orientation marriages, I kind of mentioned earlier, um, the church and our leaders teach that they are not a fix. They're not something that is going to change your sexuality. President Hinckley, I'll just read a quote from him. Marriage should not be viewed as a therapeutic step to solve problems such as homosexual inclinations or practices. Um, oh, you know what? This is actually President Oaks quoting President Hinckley, so it kind of bounces back and forth. So back to after that, it's Elder Oaks. To me, that means that we are not going to stand still to put at risk daughters of God who would enter into such marriages under false pretenses or under a cloud unknown to them. And then I think this is back to President Hinckley. On the other hand, persons who have cleansed themselves of any transgression and who have shown their ability to deal with these feelings or inclinations and put them in the background and feel a great attraction for a daughter of God and therefore desire to enter marriage and have children and enjoy the blessing of eternity, that's a situation when marriage would be appropriate. And that really resonates with me um, because, again, it's, it's something that we... Early in our dating, Amanda and I had a lot of very open and direct conversations about our fears, about our intentions, um, all of it. It was just kind of all on the table. And I tried to, after I came out to her when we were dating, I just let her know that because I opened up to you, I don't want you to feel like you are trapped in this position. Just because I shared this with you, you're not required to continue dating me. I just want to create a situation where um, you feel comfortable asking any questions. And if I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. But if I do, I'll try to answer them. And I just want to create this space where we can um, have really open dialogue. And so <clears throat> that was kind of a month of a lot of questions and a lot of back and forth and some hard moments, some funny, some... Um, some spirit led and, and wholesome, but just again, a really open and honest, um, dialogue. And from that sprung out the questions, or I guess the, um, <clears throat> it, it kind of acted as, as a springboard for talking about marriage, um, questions like, okay, if we got married, what would this look like? Um, started, started beginning with, when we get married, what's this going to look like? And we, <laughs> I remember we were at, at Taco Bell and kind of just both decided that, yeah, I think we want to get married. Um, and so when we do, what's, what's this going to look like? Um, and so anyway, we, we just have as open as communication as we can without, I mean, we have certain boundaries, certain barriers um, just to keep us sane and whatnot. But we are as open as we can be with, with each other. And I, I truly believe that I, I pursued a marriage to a woman initially, a, a temple marriage, because <laughs> this might sound weird, but I'm going to qualify it, because I'm selfish. Um, <clears throat> I, I despise the feeling of having beliefs that I don't measure up to. That, that feeling is one of the least, my least favorite feelings. I hate knowing something without um, pursuing it or without bettering myself in order to align myself with what I believe. So I, I believe in the restored gospel and a savior who died for me and 
and God who knows me better than anyone else and um, has certain terms and conditions, I guess you could call them, or not even that, just he understands human nature better. And so he has a path for all of his children that varies slightly for each individual, but has core tenants that are designed to um, to work against human nature or work with human nature, I guess, to help us become the best versions of ourselves and to be happy in this life and the next. And so those are my beliefs. Um, I could, I had the, the choice to pursue a same-sex relationship. I could have done that. I think I could have found some level of, of happiness in that. Um, but at the back of my mind, I would always know that I wasn't living up to what I believed personally. I would always have to put that part of myself on a shelf and try to ignore it as, as best as possible. And I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at lying to myself um, because I, I just fixate on that, on that piece that I know I'm not living up to. Um, and it eats at me. And so, um, and so all that to say, I pursued a, initially pursued a relationship with a woman because I have a, a testimony of the restored gospel. And I believed that that was the next step for me, m- me specifically to fulfill that or to live that out. Um, from that foundation, thankfully I've, I've had a lot of I had a lot of misconceptions about what my marriage would be that didn't end up um, playing out. Initially, I, I believed that I would find some level of fulfillment in my marriage. Um, I believed I would be happy, but I also thought that my marriage would be a burden in my life to some extent. And it would be something that is difficult, I guess more difficult than your typical marriage. And I've been disabused of that, um, that notion because I, I, I mean, I just don't feel that way anymore. My, my marriage is my source of strength. It's not the, um, it's not the thing in my life. I have to white knuckle my way through in order to be happy. It is the source of much of my joy and happiness. Um, and that kind of paradigm shift was really um, revelatory. That's a tricky one revelatory for me um, because it was, I, I could just recognize that it was a fulfillment of God's promise to us that he knows us better, that he has paved um, a path for us that we may not understand fully, um, but that is in our best interest. God's work in glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life um, of man. And I think in that, is eternal joy. His, his purpose in life is to bring us joy. And there are a lot of different, a lot of different um, methods to success or ideas for success that um, more worldly influences put out there that um, are sometimes half true, partially true, sometimes completely false, and then sometimes true. Like there's kind of a mixed bag. Um, but all of it can be very enticing and can kind of appeal to our emotions and, and um, be very convincing intellectually as well. But I have just found, again, going back to kind of the, 
the rationale for for living out my faith and why I do because I believe it. Um, I've just found that the best case scenario is to live out your beliefs as best as you can. I think there are few things more mentally distressing than having genuinely held beliefs while choosing to ignore them or rebel against them. Um, there's kind of there's this term cognitive dissonance that gets thrown on, thrown around a lot, um, but just this idea that it's the distress that we feel when we um, uh, when we are believing two contradictory things, or we we have beliefs that don't drive with each other, and I think that is <clears throat> again very destructive. It's it's something that we, we talk about the mental health of of LGBTQ people, um, for good reason. It's, it's an important topic, but aside from, um, obvious atrocities, like, like your family shunning you, what other, what other instance is going to create such mental distress in these brothers and sisters of ours? And I think one of those core, um, one of those very distinct things is kind of this, um, this pursuit of two different paths at the same time. And I, I recognize that it's a challenging path. It's, it's very, um, can come with a lot of baggage and a lot of confusion, but I have personally found a lot of fulfillment and a lot of peace in my life by doing everything that I can to align my actions with the restored gospel and what I believe is true. And, um, so yeah, good. again, go ahead. That's a great segment. Um, a couple of things that I wrote down listeners is, um, what I wrote in my first book in the dating process. If you're not straight, talk to your, who you're dating about that. Just like Sky did. That takes a lot of courage, but it, it may strengthen your relationship like yours and Amanda, where you just learn to be vulnerable and honest and real. and. And this is a beautiful love story. And then I love when you talk about when you got married and you maybe wondered how it was going to work out. And it's worked out great. It's not, I'm sure like every marriage, it has challenges, but I love the way maybe you had heard about marriages, mixed orientation marriages. You didn't say this, but I wondered and thought maybe this can be really hard. And then once you and Amanda got married, you thought, well, what maybe the world told me about this type of marriage is not really true because we're having a great marriage. And that kind of comes back to my first point is that I had only heard about mixed orientation marriages that kind of blew up in a public way. And mm -hmm. that was my data set of about maybe 10 or less. And it wasn't until I stepped in the space and heard multiple stories like Sky and Amanda that these are beautiful love stories. Um, but it is, it is best, if possible, to come out in the dating process now. I know you've got more you want to get to, but a question you could answer now or later, and it's maybe a question that takes some time, is there may be couples listening that are in mixed orientation marriages where one is closeted and they're going, crap, I wish I'd done what Sky did in the dating process, but you know, we just didn't do that in our day. And now I'm in my 40s, 50s, 30s, and I'm wondering if I should tell my spouse I'm not straight. Um because maybe that would be good for our marriage, but maybe it would really be difficult for our marriage. So if you want to answer that question now, you could, or you could just not answer it, or you could just keep talking about what you want to share and come to it later. So 
I might, um, I might, I, I, I believe that being open about your sexuality, especially to your spouse, I do believe that is the best case scenario. And I think that, um, whatever your situation is, it might be more or less challenging. Um, but at, at least in principle, like that principle is true. Being open with your spouse about your sexuality is, <clears throat> is a positive thing. And I, I don't want to give that advice across the board. I think, I mean, obviously pray about it in your situation, but I would also um, have a little bit of a cop out and direct you to two of your um, other guests that have been on the podcast. I don't think you would mind that I mention um, Travis and Margaret Stewart. Yeah, they're um, good friends of ours, and we reached out to them um, early into after after I um, came out to Amanda. She <clears throat> kind of had the experience that you did, where she went online. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think I'm getting sick, and so I'm having a little <clears throat> um, frog in my throat here. She went online and looked up stories and those the ones that tend to get the most attention are the ones that have somehow in some capacity blown up or <clears throat> ended um and it they're usually pretty messy so those are the ones that tend to get the most traction so we had plenty of examples of that um that we saw um but then i believe is actually through um, a friend of a friend or something like that, that we got connected to Travis and Margaret. And we went over to their house and had a, an open conversation about their experience. Um, Travis didn't come out to his wife until actually very recently. I want to say it was, I don't know, six years, six or seven so, years ago now. Yeah. I mean, that's about right. I'm just looking his episode listeners is episode 177. After being a mission president, he came out to his wife. Um, that podcast we recorded in September of 2019. Travis and his wife are together, active in the church, and it was just a beautiful love story and such an honor to have them on the podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. I think it is recent, and obviously Travis didn't talk to his wife about his sexual orientation, and I'm not sure many people yeah. did in his day because I'm not even sure the church was encouraging that. Like. I think that predates President Hinckley's quote and Elder Oaks's quote, but I'm not positive. But some did, and I'm not trying to say the church is at fault. It just was different back then. Right. Yeah. So I would direct anyone in that situation to maybe their episode or um, maybe even reach out to them. I don't know. if <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't solicit that, but um, I think they have other um, videos and things that they've done. So I would, I'd direct them to the, to, to that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it is a, a positive thing and you, you had a good segue for me in, in your question about life difficulties and recognizing, um, I, I guess having expectations for, um, what trials will be or what they will look like in your life. So for me, I again thought that my marriage was going to be a lot more of a burden than it, than it has been. Thankfully, Amanda and I are very happy and fulfilled, and and um, love each other, and and, it, and it's just great. I mean, again, we we have our our trials, um, but our marriage is our source of strength. We um, we we ha we share that in common. Um, I think a lot of 
um, members of the church who experience same-sex attraction or um, whatever whatever they experience kind of in in that world um, really fixate on really fixate on the, the challenge of bringing together or reconciling your sexuality and your faith because that is something that um, I mean in my early teen years and in dating Amanda it did take up a lot of my bandwidth I was thinking about that a lot um, thankfully now it doesn't and I, I feel in a much more secure place but I think um, early on when I was in that position I kind of used the fact that I was a gay member of the church as a way to kind of shield myself from the possibility of facing other trials in my life. Um, I kind of, in my head, it was like, okay, I'm, I have to reconcile my faith and my sexuality and how those fit together. And that's going to be my trial in life. And that's, and that's what I'll have to deal with. And I can do that. (laughs) Um, But obviously, uh, we have experienced other trials and tragedy in our lives. And I think if, if, if I was, if I experienced what I did while I was so fixated on my sexuality. And so, I mean, self-absorbed sounds kind of harsh, but that really is what I was. I was absorbed in my own, my own conflicts. Um, If I was in that situation, when we lost Milo, I think it probably would have broke me. Um, but it, I guess it's just to say that there, there are other um, things in life, um, not to sound dreary, but <laughs> there are other challenges in life that may arise. And um, it's just helpful to recognize that. When we, um, when we lost Milo, I, I faced a lot of, bitterness toward God because I had that expectation that my sexuality and squaring it with my faith, that was going to be my trial. Mm. So it was kind of like, okay, I'm gay. And then also you're going to give me this other trial and you are going to take my son away from me. Wow. That's really honest. Um, and I had, I had to wrestle with that bitterness and, um, kind of get past the incorrect view of God that I had, that he was somebody who wanted me to fail rather than to succeed. Um, And I guess working past that, I've, I've been able to look back in hindsight at a lot of the parallels that our experience with Milo um, has with the savior um, in ways that has pointed me to the savior. So just a few examples, um, and I, I don't say this to, I, I think it can kind of teeter on the edge of being sacrilegious. I'm not comparing the divinity of Christ to Milo, <laughs> but there are just kind of some parallels to what Milo experienced with what our Savior experienced, and it helped me to see better who my Savior is and, and get me closer. So the most obvious was that Milo was the firstborn son. And obviously our, our Savior was the firstborn or the only begotten son of, of, of our um, Heavenly Father. Um, so that was like the first one that kind of got me to start asking or start looking for more. I realized that. Um, ob- another obvious one, Milo, he suffered greatly in his life and he had a lot of 
procedures and a lot of pokes and prods and and um he um had chest tubes put in and um he had lumbar punctures and he was sedated for a lot of his life so we we kind of take comfort knowing that he probably didn't wasn't conscious or didn't experience a lot of pain um but we did still um he did still cry he couldn't make noise because of the breathing tube that was in but his face would kind of wince and um that always <laughs> It, it broke our hearts, obviously, um, but it was, it, it broke our hearts, but it was also kind of um, a special thing to see emotion um, because he was sedated a lot of the time. We didn't get to kind of connect with him on an emotional level a lot. Um, the, um, the other thing is um, I, I felt more of a connection to our Heavenly Father. Um, because I was, as a father, so helpless in watching my son's suffering and not being able to fix it or make it better and just being, just having to watch it. Um, but knowing that it was for his, like, knowing that it was ultimately for his good, these procedures and, and things um, were ultimately for his good, but it wasn't fun watching him. Um, in his little isolate, go through those things. And so that, that helped me to feel more of a connection to my heavenly father and just have like a piece, just a small piece of maybe what he experienced when our savior suffered and died for us. So these, these, um, these parallels, I guess, have been really special to me in pointing me toward my savior and getting me to recognize that there are um, a lot of things beyond my control. There is a lot that I don't understand, um, but I, I, I just have to trust our Heavenly Father and trust His plan and we'll always miss Milo. Um, that pain won't go away, but we've found that, excuse me, the layers of our life or the experiences in our life add different layers to that um to that pain that we feel i kind of picture it like a a black black hole like the the pain is a black hole but as we experience things layers of color are added to that to where when we zoom out um it's something beautiful and that pain is still there but it's it's full or it's filled and surrounded by so many more layers of life that help us to get past and deal with that that pain that we experienced. Um, so anyway, it was obviously the, the most, um, most pain that we've experienced, the hardest thing that we've gone through as parents, but it's more helpful to me to look to the positive and, and what has come out of it that um, has been helpful rather than just sulking in, in the pain and the, in the bitterness. <laughs> Um, not to say that there wasn't wasn't any of that, like I said, but sulking in it is um, really not helpful. So we, yeah, at this point, obviously still miss Milo, um, but those layers of our life have added a peace and and um, assurance that God knows better, and um, it, it's given us more of an incentive to 
become the people we need to to be in order to be an eternal family. It's kind of an anchor. Um, in a lot of ways, Milo just points us to Christ. And that has been really helpful for us. And a hard lesson, painful lesson, but I think an important one. I love you talking about Milo. And I loved um, so much of your... When I see you guys on social media, it's a picture of you and your wife, and you're often holding a picture of Milo. Yeah. And now a picture of, of your daughter, Remy. I've got her name right. <laughs> I'm joining the four of you. And I just love the way you talk about Milo and your experiences. That's really honest and really helpful for all of us. Something I love just talking about Remy, something I love that she does. I don't, it's probably just coincidence, but whenever we take a picture with Milo, we'll, I'm, we take a picture and we hold like a physical picture of Milo, yeah. take like a, a family photo. Whenever we do that, Remy will kind of, um, touch the picture of Milo and kind of put her hands on it. Love that. And so we get some really, really special photos of, of that. <laughs> That's love, always something that touches us as parents. I just love that. Um, we're at the hour mark, but I'd love to have you have one or two more segments that you'd like to share. So keep talking, Sky. The listeners would love to hear more um, from you. Yeah, well, I guess just to wind down here, um, I... Um, what has been helpful for me in, in thriving in my marriage and as a member of the church is just recognizing that when, when I'm not living my covenants, when I'm not living up to what I should be and what I should do, um, I can't be the husband that I need to be for Amanda and I can't be the father that I need to be for Remy, for Remy, um, and just recognizing that has been a really solid motivation to work on myself um, in whatever capacity, whether um, it is just working on weaknesses or um, bettering myself physically and emotionally. It's um, when you have higher stakes to, um, when it's just you, it's, it's really easy to kind of justify um, not not bettering yourself or not working on yourself because it's just in, in your mind it's easier to say it's just me that I'm affecting even though it's not it's really not it's you know you have a whole circle of of people but when it's more direct when it's um, you have to be the protector and the provider of of the home um, there's a much stronger incentive to work on yourself um, to become better spiritually physically again emotionally so that. I can be the person that I need to be for Amanda and for Remy. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'm, I, um, I've, I've tried to, again, find that balance and tried to work on myself while, while giving myself grace. Um, but understanding that there are consequences to my actions and, I need to be mentally well. I need to be in a good place so that I can provide for my family. So that's kind of the, the last note that I have here. Um, just a, another shout out to um, members of the church who are in my situation to some degree to not exclude yourself from Father's plan. That's um, something that Preston said, in, said a lot in our, in our podcast. 
he has a, his, a real way with words and I really look up to him. <laughs> um, but he would always say the, the temptations of the adversary um, are always the same. Regardless of your situation, it always ends with the same temptation, which is exclude yourself from Father's plan. Whether that is you are not worthy to continue or you are in a situation where it's harder for you and you can't be expected to live your covenants or um, you know better than God or whatever it may be, resist the urge to exclude yourself from the plan of salvation and pursue your covenants and the covenant path to the best of your ability. Um, That is what I wish I could tell myself at an early age, just um, telling them that, you know, it's going to work out. Don't, nobody has it completely figured out. Um, People are really good at at appearing like they have it all figured out, but um, that's not the case. And we're all kind of on this path together and, should all be giving each other grace, but also urging each other and inviting each other to continue on the path toward exaltation and toward our heavenly father. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's how I would, how, how I would end things today with that um, invitation again. <laughs> Listeners, I love the word thrive and um, I recognize your marriage is thriving. And you're thriving because of the choices you've made and the spirit-led um, path you're taking. Um, and I'm gl- glad for marriages like you, and I'm glad for examples. Um, Preston is speaking at North Star, listeners. We've talked about Preston. You've talked about Preston. I've talked about Preston. His mother are speaking at North Star. This podcast is being released about a month before North Star. Yeah. Is so you're welcome to um, check out North Star, great organization, deeply supportive of North Star, um, the work that Spencer Thompson and others have done there. So, a plug for North Star, you could go hear Spencer speak and his mother. Right. That's the talk that Elder Holland talked about in general conference. And you both, and I would do- be remiss if I didn't mention I'm also doing a breakout panel Good. at North Star. So, tell our I'll listeners about, well. tell our listeners about your breakout panel. Um, so it will be, um, I, I can't remember the exact title, but, um, essentially how I have embraced, um, my divine identity as a son of God and, um, my, I guess, get, got, how I've gotten rid of, um, kind of a disdain I've felt toward my masculinity, my madness and my identity as a son of God and, um, embrace that identity. That's kind of the general gist of my breakout. That's great. But yeah, Preston and his mom are, are keynoting and I'm very excited about that. They're, they're going to do awesome. That's going to be awesome. And one of the things I, as I listen to you and look, I can see Sky listeners, we're doing this via Zoom, but it's audio obviously, but there's no shame as you tell your story. You never look down, you never and I recognize that's one of, it's a great space that you're in. And I love that that reminds me when you talk about your breakout session, um, just you, you have no shame about who you are. And I think that's credit to you and it's a credit to your commitment to the gospel and and that you recognize your Heavenly Father loves you. Uh, talk about, um, you know, you're out in public and some may say, well, that's really brave of Sky. I mean, he's got a podcast and he's a book and he's talking about his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And 
Um, talk to our listeners why you decided to do that. I don't know if when you first had that conversation with Amanda about you, you know, being gay, if I don't think that was part of the first conversation is my guess. And by the way, Amanda, I'm going to be really public about this and write a book and do a podcast. And you're going to be on the podcast with me. Um, I'm assuming that came later, but just talk to her. Cause some may wonder, should I do that? Should I be public? Should I, or should I not? Um, cause there's probably people listening that are, are out to their spouse, but I've just felt like I shouldn't be out. Is that okay? Or should I be more public? Give us some story of just your journey to be public. Yeah, I um Well, I appreciate that. I, I think there's a... Because um, you're brave. <laughs> <laughs> and you're online and that takes courage. So you're brave to do this. Well, well, thank you. I, I yeah, I, I think there, um, I, I, I guess, feel uncomfortable sometimes because people tend to, it's kind of one or the other, either they despise me or they idolize me. And <laughs> I kind of want something in the middle where I want, I want to um, share my perspective and hopefully help people in my situation. Um, but I, I'm no hero. And I think Amanda's more the hero for, um, for marrying me. So um, I would say, yeah, I mean, when, when I first opened up to her, obviously she didn't have this, this, um, vision of what her future would look like and being involved in this way. Um, but we've talked about it and kind of took it, t- taken it in strides. And she's been very supportive. Um, sh- we're both very, pr- very private people. Um, we, we don't really, I know like I, I share things on social media, um, but, but we are fairly introverted, fairly um, um I'm, I'm more introverted than she is, but kind of private people, but we have just felt, um, kind of a good example when, when Preston, so we did two seasons of the podcast with me and Preston, and then he and his wife, Taryn, they moved to Idaho, um, where he is continuing his schooling. And we just decided that he was going to be too busy. The distance, um, would make it kind of a different dynamic and we could have done it, but he was going to be very busy and we weren't going to be able to do it very much. And so for a time I was considering the option of just doing it by myself. Um, I didn't really like that option because I do better when I have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And all the while Amanda was wrestling with, I, I think prompting and she thinks so too. Um, to join me on the podcast. And that's something that is completely out of her character. She doesn't like being in the spotlight even more than I don't. But she just approached me one day and, and asked, you know, what if, what if I maybe tried maybe getting on the, coming on the podcast? <laughs> and um, immediately when she said it, it was like a light bulb in my head. And we... This is our first season. We record just every other week. Um, and we're kind of trial and error, but I think we've got something that has been really fun and and hopefully entertaining and also helpful. Um, we are we try to joke and be lighthearted, but also talk about important things that affect people in a way that's honest. Um, and it's working right now. And I don't know how long we're going to do it, um, but we've enjoyed our time so far. 
Um, with the book, it's been a lot of patience from Amanda because I've had to spend a lot more time than I probably should. <laughs> but um, I, I just kind of had to give myself permission to to pursue it full force or else I wasn't going to do a good job. So I I really appreciate her um, her patience with me while I um, probably neglected my family a little bit. I'm trying to kind of recenter my balance and my priorities now that I'm kind of wrapping up. I'm, I'm finishing editing the audiobook right now. Um, but then after that, hopefully do a little bit better job at balancing. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. The podcast and, and the book, it's something I feel is really important, something that I, it is kind of scary to put out there. Um, but I, I truly believe that it will help people, um, hopefully in my situation who, um, there are a lot of, lot of resources now. When I was growing up, there were hardly any. Now there are a lot, um, but there's kind of more of a mixed bag where I feel like there are so many different ways of approaching the same thing. Some of them good ideas, some of them bad. And, and I'm not saying that mine are all good ideas, but I, I just tried to condense all of the, the voices and all of the, the different methods of success and condense them into something that is practical and um, helpful for someone in my situation. So that is the hope. It's great. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast on behalf of all of our guests. Thanks for your courage. You and Amanda, thanks for your beautiful marriage. Thanks for your two kids, Milo, who's not with us, and Remy, who is. And I love the way you talk about Milo <laughs> and that he is part of your family. And um, thanks for writing this book, listeners. It's called Exclude Not Thyself, Thriving as a Covenant-Keeping Gay Latter-day Saint. In the show notes, we'll link to three things. We'll link to um, where you can pre-order this book. We'll link to Sky and Amanda's podcast. And we'll also link to North Star. Um, so you could sign up and go to Sky's breakout session and go and enjoy Noistar, terrific organization. Yeah, come say hi. So this is um, Richard Osler and Skylar Sorensen signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs> <laughs>